So if you'd join me in the reading of Scripture, if you would uh, pull out your Bibles or your tablets or whatever, this is a reading from the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ of St. John, chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. They should be on the screen. Hear these words from the book that we love. Jesus said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage they go away. For, I do not, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. Hey, happy Father's Day. As Jim had said, thanks for being here with us this morning, particularly if you are new or visiting. It takes a lot of guts to check out a church, and so we appreciate you checking out our church. Uh, I do want to make a quick announcement about kickball. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a fun time. I will say, though, we are going to put some parameters around it where, like, men cannot peg children with kickballs. Like, the, your own son is fine. Uh, it's, uh, like, your, the kids do not care that you popped up with bases loaded in fourth grade. So now is not the time to, like, make it up to them, you know, like, improve your worth at kickball. So that's, that being said, right after the service, we're going to need um, some guys to help us break things down so every, all of us can get out to the field and have a good time together. But today we're going to be in John chapter 16. Uh, we've been, con we're continuing our series on the upper room discourse, which are like the farewell words of Jesus. These are like the last words. These are like the things he wants his disciples to know. And we're going to go over this today. And there's going to be, what I want to talk about is the gift of the spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you aren't aware, today's the first day of summer, but my kids have been on summer vacation for about a week and they're fully into summer vacation. Like they did, like they fully embraced it. They did not skip a beat. So they sleep in and then they wake up and they jump in our pool. They swim all day until we tell them they have to get out of the pool and go to bed. And summers as a kid are a ton of fun. Like it's so much better to experience summer when you're a kid. And I remember the moment, like the actual moment where I realized I had become an adult. I was, it was summertime and I was working my full-time job in an office at a cubicle. And I remember looking out, this is in Oxford Valley near Sesame Place. I remember looking out the window and watching families walk to Sesame Place with smiles on their faces, occasional mom dragging her kid, but mostly smiles. And I was like, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not going to... I'm not going to Sesame Place today. I'm working nine to five in my office. I get 30, minutes lunch, 30 minute lunch break, which is not much of anything, um, but I'm not gonna have time to swing over to Sesame Place and experience summer like a kid. 
and I understand that. I, and I understood that, like, I'm growing up, and we're understanding that if you're an adult, you're growing up, right? This is just part of it. Like, you understand that. But kids don't always understand that. Kids don't always understand what, like, situations where, like, I rem for all, there was this time, like, every summer, at the beginning of the summers, I would leave and go to work. And I had to, like, leave, go to a meeting, or I have to go do my sermon and write a sermon at a coffee shop, and I'm leaving. And my kids would say, Dad, please don't go. And it broke my heart and it became so frequent that one summer I had to tell my kids, guys, I love you, but I have to go. Like, I have to go to work. If you want to keep the things that you love so much at this house, daddy has to go to work. Because if I don't go to work, if I don't have a sermon prepared on Sunday, they're going to say, we should stop paying dad. We should stop paying the pastor. And they would get disappointed that I would have to go because they didn't understand. But kids don't understand things like that. Kids don't understand when you have to go. And I'm not talking about overworking or working more than I have to. I'm really committed to a work-life balance. But kids fail to see how a parent leaving for work is to their advantage. Kids don't see how parents as they leave for work that day or they leave the house, how it's for their advantage and how could they? So when we see in John chapter 16, we see disciples are having a hard time understanding why Jesus leaving could be a good thing. Jesus tells them that it's to their advantage that he leaves and he goes to be with the Father. And they're obviously saddened by this news. They're disheartened, Jesus says, because they see it as bad news. But Jesus sees it as good news. Because unless Jesus leaves, he can't send the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, what I want us to realize today is that the gift, the Holy Spirit is a gift from Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit is a gift from Jesus to us. And the Holy Spirit actively works to convict the world and guide the followers of Jesus. So I want to talk about the gift of the Spirit. I'll talk about how the Spirit convicts and how the Spirit guides. So first, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a gift. Look at where he says that, and starting in verse 4. I did not say these things to you because I, I was with you, from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That's the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15, Jesus makes his fourth and fifth statements about the Holy Spirit during the upper room discourse. So far, what we've heard about the Holy Spirit is, one, that the Holy Spirit will be with the disciples forever. That's in 14, 15 through 17. That he will teach us all things and remind Jesus' disciples what Jesus said. That's in John 14, 26. And then Jesus says in 15, 26, he says that the Holy Spirit will bear witness about Jesus to his disciples. But here we have two more statements by Jesus about the Holy Spirit in this passage that Jim read. That the Holy Spirit will convict the world and the Holy Spirit will guide the disciples into all truth. And Jesus tells his followers that he will have to leave them and go be with the Father, 
when he ascends into heaven after his death and resurrection. But they're saddened by this. They don't see it as an advantage. They don't see this as a gift. And they don't see it as a gift because they're short-sighted. If you look at our own lives, we're short-sighted in the same way they are. And so when you look at John 16, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Michael Reeves, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit in his book on the Trinity, says, It is the Spirit who unites us to Christ. And listen to this. Like the oil flowing down the body of the high priest, he imparts the blessings of Christ, the head of his body, the church. He takes what is Christ's and makes it ours. See, unless the Holy Spirit leaves, you and I, his Jesus' disciples in the first century, can't experience the blessings of Christ. They can't experience it like the oil that would drip down the high priest. And onto his feet and onto the ground. They can't experience those blessings dripping from Christ onto them. And what are some of those blessings that we receive because of the Holy Spirit? Well, first, we receive the gift of adoption as sons, just like Jesus is the son. We get to be God's sons. And that's male and female, right? Men are referred to, like men and female, male and females are referred to as the bride of Christ. We can all be referred to as the sons of God, right? We're the sons of God. So when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends onto Jesus and God from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, that same type of pronouncement is now pronounced on you and me. We get to be adopted as God's sons, we get to be comforted, just like Jesus was comforted by the Holy Spirit. We get to be comforted. So when life gets difficult or uncomfortable, we experience comfort from the Holy Spirit. And like Jesus has a spiritual authority, we receive spiritual authority. We can say to the devil, get behind me, Satan, because I have the power and the authority of Christ that's given to me from the Holy Spirit. So those are some personal benefits, but there's also missional benefits to Jesus leaving. This is a gift to the Holy Spirit, a gift for us missionally as well. If Jesus is in human flesh, he's God the Son in human flesh, he can only be in one place at a time. And billions of people across generations would not have heard the gospel, but the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is a game changer. Now God goes everywhere Christians go. And so billions of people across generations could say, well, I never heard the gospel. I had no opportunity. But now because the Holy Spirit is in us and we go tell other people about Jesus, mission becomes possible because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, but also the gospel can be spread throughout the entire world. But if it's just Jesus, he can only be in one place at one time. So Jesus understands that when the Holy Spirit comes and fills his disciples at Pentecost and he fills all of us as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that everywhere you go, everywhere I go, to the grocery store, to work, hanging out with our friends, the Holy Spirit goes with us. So now God comes with me in every situation. So when we say things like, you may be the only Jesus that your friends ever meet, it's true. 
Because the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit goes with you. Which is why Jesus will say in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Do you see why Jesus can say that? Greater works, because he's leaving. So sometimes you may hear Christians say, or maybe you even said, or even in your hearts you believe, wouldn't it be so great if I was able to be with Jesus in Galilee, or Jesus in Capernaum, or Jesus while he was here on earth. Wouldn't that be so great? But Jesus says, you're better off now than you would have been then. See, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit to remind you that you're, the, you're a son of God, to comfort you when life becomes uncomfortable, to give you authority to f- defeat sin in your life and fight back the devil, to give you strength to continue the mission of Jesus of proclaiming the gospel to the world. This is a gift to you. There's one episode of the show Everybody Loves Raymond where Ray discovers a bunch of unwrapped, unopened Christmas gifts in his parents' basement, many of which he gave to them. And he's appalled that they never opened and used his gifts. But his parents didn't open the gifts. What we find out from the show, they didn't open the gifts, they didn't use the gifts because they didn't see them as gifts. They didn't see the beauty of the gift that was given to them. Why do we need a coffee pot? We already have one. Why do we need a new toaster? We already have one. That doesn't see a gift as a gift, so Ray is appalled. But here's Jesus in the New Testament giving us a top-of-the-line gift, and many of us don't use that gift because we don't see it as a gift. We don't see the beauty of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller, as a pastor in New York, says that religious people find God useful. Listen to this. Religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. What he's saying is, if you are a religious person, God is useful to you. He bails you out. You offer up prayers to him when you need things. But a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who's really transformed by the Holy Spirit, whose heart is connected to Jesus because the Holy Spirit finds Jesus so incredibly beautiful that all you want is to be around him, to experience the gift of his beauty and his presence. See, many of us, use, we see the Holy Spirit as useful, but to be a true follower of Jesus, we need to find the Holy Spirit Beautiful. See, some have seen the Holy Spirit like this impersonal force, maybe like the force of Star Wars. Like he's kind of like floating around every once in a while. We can tap into him and we can use him when we need to. Or if we really want to sound spiritual around our friends, we just talk about the Holy Spirit. Or if we like want to do like a really cool trick, we talk about the Holy Spirit and we do this trick in front of a bunch of people. So many of us have seen those experiences and we're like, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's a trick. And so then some of us treat the Holy Spirit like Loki from Marvel. Culturally relevant reference, I know. (laughs) Disney Plus, let's go. But Loki is the god of mischief. And many of us treat the Holy Spirit like he's the third person, the trinity of mischief. Like, we got to keep him under wraps. We have to keep him at arm's length because every time he shows up, there's trouble. 
Like he comes to the house and he starts messing up all the silverware and kicking things over. Like people start talking in weird languages whenever he's around. So like let's just kind of keep him over there. We got to keep Loki locked up because if Loki's loose, things are going to get messed up. See, both see those kinds of people see the Holy Spirit as useful, but the Holy Spirit is useful and beautiful. The Holy Spirit is a useful gift and a beautiful gift. But how? Well, Jesus says two ways. One, he convicts the world and he guides the followers of Jesus. That's what makes him so beautiful, useful and beautiful. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, and when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to convict the world. Now, last week we talked about the world as this word cosmos in Greek, and in John it commonly refers to the created moral order this is D.A. Carson says this, the created moral order in active rebellion against God. That's how John uses the word the world. It's the order, the ethos of the world that's in rebellion against God. So what the Holy Spirit does is like putting up a mirror in front of the world, like you put up a mirror to your friends so they can see that their hair is out of place or they have this smudge on their face. The Holy Spirit graciously holds up the mirror to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment so their hearts can change they can make the changes that they need to make so he convicts of sin he convicts sin of unbelief jesus says see the world because it's naturally its natural posture is opposition to jesus when jesus was here on earth they rejected him jesus did miracles jesus did amazing things jesus taught and preached amazing sermons but they still did not believe in him. Charles Spurgeon says that unbelief hath, sorry, old school English, unbelief hath more phases than the moon and more colors than a chameleon. See, unbelief is not just like I see Jesus and I just don't believe him. It starts to take on these forms in our lives, right? Unbelief in Jesus can take on these many forms, like almost like and more colors, like a chameleon. Unbelief in Jesus as the only way to God can come in the form of tolerance. Well, I want to be tolerant of everyone. Unbelief in living out the Sermon on the Mount can be, come in the form of being realistic, well, like Jesus didn't live in the 21st century. He can't expect us to live like the Sermon on the Mount. That's ridiculous. Unbelief in his healing can come in the form of being scientific. Unbelief in the commands of Jesus can come in the form of finding my authentic self. Well, I'm not going to follow the commands of Jesus because I'm trying to find out who I am, truly am. Unbelief in making weekend worship a regular practice can come in the belief in the form, excuse me, in the unbelief, the sin of unbelief in the form of needing to work to provide for my family. It can come in the form of needing a day off. Like, I had one Saturday, but I worked and played, so I just kind of, I stayed up to midnight, so I'm just going to sleep in. I need a day off. Unbelief and generosity can come in the form of being financially wise. 
I can't be generous. God wants me to be financially wise. Unbelief in giving enough time to prayer can come in the form of prioritizing my clients. So I got to shoot off some emails just real quick. And by the time I'm done shooting off all those emails, I have no time for prayer. But God wants me to prioritize people. Jesus, others, you, right? Or I need more sleep because my kids are exhausting. See, unbelief can take many different forms, but it's still unbelief. And unbelief leads us into disobedience, and disobedience is sin. You can call it what you want. I can call it what I want, but it's unbelief. I can call not confronting my friend on their sin or my spouse on something that is destructive in their life or whatever it may be. It, I can call it whatever I want, but it's unbelief because I don't believe Jesus, what Jesus said will actually happen or is actually important or is actually the best way to live my life. And so we're so set in our ways that unless the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts, we'll never change. And I think it's important for me to also point out, like, you cannot be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. Like, you're not the Holy Spirit. You cannot convict someone. You can tell them about the gospel. You can tell them about Jesus. But it's not your job to change their heart. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But the Holy Spirit also convicts the emptiness of its, the world's righteousness. So when, I say, when we say righteousness, what I, what I mean is the thing you think justifies you breathing oxygen and taking up space. Like what's the thing you think makes it possible or worthwhile or what justifies you breathing oxygen and taking up space on this earth? What is that thing? For some of you, it might be moral righteousness. I'm morally better. I'm a good person, unlike most people. For some of us, it's political righteousness. I voted for the right people, unlike half of America. Some of us, it might be product productivity righteousness, where we find worth in being productive and getting the job done and working hard and working quickly. Some of us, us might have flexibility righteousness, right? We find worth and be able to move our schedules around and doing whatever we want. And I don't accept the planning center request till Sunday morning just in case something better comes up. Or I don't accept my friend's invitation to come to their house just in case something better comes up. And by the way, we all know you're doing that because I do it too. We'll have a flexible schedule, right? Can move things around. I love it makes me worthwhile, justifies me being here on earth because I can just drop a hat, go anywhere I want. And the Holy Spirit also convicts the reality of its judgment, the world's judgment. See, the world makes judgments about Jesus then and now. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus is a good teacher. He's a healer. He's a great spiritual advisor. And he's a great life coach. But is he God? Nah. And by the way, like, if Jesus is a great life coach, like, taking up your cross and following him seems like lame life coach advice. Like, Christianity is a pretty lame hobby. If you're putting your life on the line for the gospel 
And you got to wake up Sunday mornings and come to church. So is Jesus God? No. He's a life coach. He's a good spiritual advisor. He's a teacher. He has some things that I like and some things that I don't. Is he God? No. And Jesus' point here is that believing that he is anything other than he says he is in the Bible puts you on the side of the ruler of this world, which is Satan. And Satan has been judged in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and you will be judged like Satan if you're on his side. See, if you don't believe in Jesus, you will make wrong judgments about him. And when the thing you look for for righteousness fails, you'll be crushed. See, if you bank on moral righteousness when you sin, it will crush you. If you bank on political righteousness when your side loses an election, it will decimate you and you'll make up theories as to why you lost and you won't believe that you actually lost when you lost. Because the right thing to do was to vote for that person. If you bank on productivity righteousness, you'll never take a day off. You'll never end up getting the rest that you need. You'll always be running on fumes and you'll be exhausted until you crash and burn. And if you bank on flexibility righteousness, you'll never commit to anything. And you'll find out that no one can actually rely on you. So they stop asking. And because you lost everyone's trust, it feels like the world is just crumbling around you. But God's righteousness is different. God's righteousness is that you're justified not by your righteousness, but by Jesus' righteousness. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that gives you righteousness. So you have to believe Jesus is who he says he is. You have to make proper judgments about him, and you have to trust him for his righteousness, because his righteousness will never fail, which means when he never fails, I will never be crushed. Because Jesus was crushed on my behalf and he gained righteousness for me. Whatever things don't go my way, I will not be crushed. Because it's not my righteousness that matters, it's his righteousness that matters. And I put my faith and trust in that righteousness. So it's not about how others see me or how I see myself, but how God sees me. And God sees me as perfect, like Jesus and the Holy Spirit's job, the health usefulness, and the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that he reminds you of that. Evan, it's not your righteousness, it's Jesus' righteousness. Evan, I know you, while you had COVID, you tried to still do work and you couldn't do it and you felt you beat yourself up because you had COVID and you couldn't do the work that you could do. It's not on you, man. It's on Jesus. He is the one who did the right job, complete job, and did it perfectly. You don't have to. And the Holy Spirit guides. If you look at verse 13 of chapter 16, Jesus says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
What Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit guides us by reminding us of everything we need for life and godliness. See, what Jesus is referring to is, is that the Holy Spirit will lead the apostles to write the rest of the New Testament. That's what he's talking about, telling you the things, guiding you into all truth. The Holy Spirit then uses the New Testament to guide us along with the old. So that's why there's verses like Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, where the author writes, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in the last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. What the author is saying is in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people through prophets, but God revealed himself through his Son and the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit's job is to, to do is to unpack the revelation of Jesus for the apostles so we can trust the apostles' words, that the apostles' words are Jesus' words given to them by the Holy Spirit. So Peter writes in his second letter, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Everything you need the usefulness and the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that everything you need for life and godliness is found in God's word through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles, the Bible. This is part of the gift of the Holy Spirit is that you have a Bible that you can and I can continue to go to Scripture and learn more about Jesus. And I read things one time, and I take some things home about Jesus, and I go back again, and I take some things home about Jesus, and I go back again and again and again. That's why there can be 2,000 years of New Testament scholarship and discussions about Jesus, because the Holy Spirit reveals things to us and illuminates things to us. And so even though he didn't directly speak to me, he spoke through the apostles, and he speaks through the apostles through the Holy Spirit given word to us. And it's not that scripture gives me everything, like gives me all the answers that I need for everything in my life. Like he doesn't tell me what job to take or what apartment I should get or who I should marry. Despite all the girls who broke up with you because the Holy Spirit told them so, he probably didn't. But we can infer certain things from scripture about life. We can infer certain things about maybe we should move into this area because we'd be able to reach this group of people, or maybe we should do this, or maybe I should marry a Christian, not a non-Christian, because they'll push me towards Jesus. We can infer those things, but the Holy Spirit never goes, hey, marry Amanda. But if we infer from it, that's a good choice. Put aside, ladies, all the love stuff, all right? Just, just roll with me here for now. But he helps us, what, what Peter's saying is that the Holy Spirit helps us better understand and obey God. The Holy Spirit guided the apostles into all truth, all the truth that we need to live our lives as followers of Jesus and obey him to become more like him. And we can trust that the Holy Spirit will use their words, the words that he used to guide the apostles into truth, and he'll always use those words to guide us into truth, not away from it. So the Holy Spirit is still active today, but he always guides us to truth, not away from it. 
And we always compare the things that we hear and the things that we read to other things that he has said. See, a prophetic word or a vision or a sermon is never on par with Scripture. But if it is the Holy Spirit, it will be consistent with Scripture. The Holy Spirit does not contradict other things that he has said. See, the more I know Amanda, I can tell whether or not what, she, what my kids say she said is actually what she said. Hey, Dad, Mom said we could have candy while we're eating we can eat our candy while we're in bed. And I go, that doesn't sound like mom. Like, I'm, I know her decently well. We've been married now for 14 years. That doesn't sound like mom. And the same is true with the Holy Spirit. The more you get to know the Holy Spirit, the more you engage him, the more you embrace him, the more you run after him, the more you'll recognize his voice. See, just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're speaking the truth. Hear me. Look at me. Just because somebody says that they're a Christian does not mean they're speaking the truth. Jesus says in John 16, 14, that the Holy Spirit gives glory to Jesus. Watch out for people who take the glory from Jesus and keep it. And sometimes people will use buzzwords or they'll sprinkle in a few out-of-context Bible verses, but you have to be able to discern that they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch out for prosperity preachers who care more about your wallet than your soul. Watch out for musicians who care more about how the song sounds than what they're saying. Watch out for healers who sell you far Eastern spiritual practices wrapped up in Christian jargon. Watch out for speakers who say they follow Jesus but don't sound like him. Watch out for pastors who claim the authority from Christ, but use their office to carry out abuse rather than love. Just because somebody says they're a Christian and they have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean they're speaking the truth. You have to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. The only way you're going to discern that voice is if you know what he sounds like. There are a lot of voices out there that will lead you astray, will lead me astray. But Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit is a gift that guides you and me into truth, and he helps us discern, but you aren't going to be able to discern if you don't know what he sounds like. So you need to read your Bible. It's basic Sunday school, little kid, youth group stuff. You need to read your Bible. And if I see the Holy Spirit as a gift, I'll come to trust the words of Scripture. If you see the Holy Spirit as a gift, you'll be comforted by the Holy Spirit that he'll always lead you into truth. If you see the Holy Spirit as a gift, you'll want a greater relationship with him, not less. So we all need to repent. See, where we're convicted, that's the Holy Spirit convicting us. If you're here today, the Holy Spirit's convicting you. You need to repent of that. A great time to do that would be in the prayer of conf the time of confession. But you need to repent of your sin of unbelief or you're putting your righteousness in empty righteousness or the wrong judgments that you've made about Jesus. You need to repent of that. And we all need to repent in any place that we have tried to be the Holy Spirit for other people when it's not our job to convict the world. It's our job to tell them the truth and let the Holy Spirit convict and change their hearts and minds. 
But you need to run after the Holy Spirit. Be more discerning, but don't be skeptical. Here's what I mean by that. You need to be discerning. That should be your gut posture. I'm going to discern if this is the Holy Spirit speaking, but too many of us are skeptical as our gut posture. Oh, that person has prophetic word. They have a vision. They're speaking in tongues. That sermon, I'm going to be skeptical about that rather than sit back and discern, is this the Holy Spirit? You need to prayerfully engage the Holy Spirit through Scripture. Download the YouVersion Bible app and explore the topic of the Holy Spirit. Just read verses about the Holy Spirit. Get to know him better. Read the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and ask the Holy Spirit to show you your spiritual gifts and in his grace to give you new ones. Just because you have a spiritual gift doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's done giving them out. Ask for new ones. Paul says to earnestly desire the higher gifts. It doesn't, he doesn't say be open to getting them. He says go get them. Desire them. Ask for them. Embrace the Holy Spirit. Run after the Holy Spirit. Ask for more of his presence. See, Jesus wants us to understand from here in John chapter 16 is that it's to our advantage that he's not physically with us. Otherwise, we could not receive this wonderful gift. The world could not be convicted, and we would not have someone to guide us in matters of life and holiness. And as wild as it sounds, it's better for us. It's better for us that Jesus isn't here. So be encouraged. Be comforted. Trust Jesus and look for the Holy Spirit to do work in your world and in your life. Let's pray. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and um, you're realizing through this sermon that you are not full of the Holy Spirit, and you've been convicted today, I just want to give you a moment to just silently confess your sins to God. We'll do that later, too, so you have two opportunities to do that, but just repent silently and just say, Jesus, I haven't believed you. I haven't believed that you are who you say you are. I put my hope in empty righteousness, and I made wrong judgments about you. Forgive me. Holy Spirit, fill me and guide me into truth. And for the rest of us, Father, we pray that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would um, run after the Holy Spirit, that we would see him as a gift, a useful one, but also a beautiful one. May we earnestly desire to know him better. Help us to go to your word and just so we can discern his voice in our lives. And may we always approach these things knowing that we are your sons. We have spiritual authority like Jesus. And we're comforted like Jesus because of what he did for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.